I am concluding the God of the underdogs. Now I know you guys have spoken about Gideon and Moses and Nehemiah and Noah and Joseph. And then a guy called Rudy, I couldn't find him in the Bible. So I don't know where you get Rudy from, but Rudy, you spoke about Rudy. I know who Rudy is. I'm just messing with you. But today I want to speak to you about an obscure name in the Bible. I should actually put money down that most of you have never heard of this name. This name is Ichabod. Ichabod. Now I want to tell you the story of Ichabod. And I'm going to paraphrase some scriptures, but you've got to promise me that you're going to hang with a story, okay? Don't sleep on my story. Come on, can you just first pump the person next to you and say, don't, don't sleep on the pastor's story. Don't do it. Don't do it. God's watching. God's watching. So here's the story of Ichabod, an underdog. So we find our story in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 2. A time in Israel where Israel was not living right with God. There was a high priest, his name was Eli, and Eli was a good man, a good father, tender heart towards his children. But Eli, God promised that the priesthood would stay with him and his sons and their sons, a promise that God would made to them. But the Bible says he had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and scripture says about these two guys, they were scoundrels and had a disregard for God. Now, when I read when the Bible calls you a scoundrel, you're in trouble. You know what I mean? And I go like, what did you do to become a scoundrel? And I find these guys were really scoundrels because first of all, they stole from the offering. And it's not like dipping their hands in the offering plate. It is the portion of the offering that only belonged to God. They didn't take the people's portion. They took God's portion. That's good. Bad day, bad day. The second thing that these guys did, they slept with a woman in the church in the church. Okay, that's messed up right there. You know what I mean? Sleeping with a woman of the church. But sleeping with a woman of the church in the church. No, no, that's messed up. Double messed up right there. So these guys were scoundrels. But the Bible says the one thing that God didn't take lightly is Eli knew the sins of his sons and he didn't restrain them. He didn't stop them. He didn't call it out. And Israel during that time was living compromised lives drifting away from God and starting to worship idols and God had enough. Now I want you to know this one thing, God's mercy goes a long time. His grace feels like it goes forever, but when God is done, God is really done. You know what David says? It's an awful thing to fall in the hands of a living God because when his judgment comes, it knows no mercy. There's no mercy that comes with that judgment and God spoke to Eli about the people in the book of first Samuel chapter 2 verse 30 it goes like this God is speaking he says I the Lord God of Israel promise in the past that your family and your clan would serve me as priest for all times but now I say that I won't have it any longer instead watch I will honor those who honor me and I will treat with contempt those who despise me. I, I want to amplify those words, honor. It goes like this. God says, I will honor. I will acclaim. Carry in high regard and distinction. Those who honor, carry in high regard and carry me in distinction. But I will treat with disregard and neglect those who look down on and undervalue me. Oh, wow. 
When God says, I've had enough, that means it is not the way it's going to be like it used to be. Because you see, the people were playing God. And very soon we see that a, a heathen nation called the Philistines, a brutal, merciless nation, came against Israel. Now, I want you to make a note right here. Whenever you walk in disobedience, the enemy will pursue you and you will not have God on your side. But when you walk in obedience, the enemy will still pursue you. But the Lord God in the midst of you is mighty and he will fight the battle for you. The fact of the matter is we will always have opposition, but you can choose to have God with you or God neglecting and, and, and ignoring you. And God says the way that that is determined, do you honor me? If you do, I will will honor you. So here comes Israel with compromised hearts. They've neglected God, ignored God, living compromised lives, and they know they've got to fight. So they gather at a place called Ebenezer. Can you shout Ebenezer for me? Oh, come on. I need everybody. Shout Ebenezer. Ebenezer means the rock of help. Now there's an incredible message that I can preach about Ebenezer, but all I'm going to tell you because of time, Ebenezer is the place of presumption. Because it's like saying, I've got to fight and I need God's help, so let me go fight inside the church because at least God should be there. Do you know what I mean? Ebenezer is the place of presumption. It's the place where God showed up before. They go like, let's go where God used to help us. Surely he will help us again. And when the battle began to rage, in a very short time, 4,000 Israeli soldiers were killed and slaughtered. Oh, they went back to the camp that night. Totally confused, totally flabbergasted what just happened because we are supposed to be the winning team here. Oh, I love how this goes in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 3. It says, when the troops came back to the camp, the leaders of Israel asked, why has the Lord used the Philistines to defeat us today? I love that. Isn't that so classic human? Whenever we become underdogs and when we fail and when things don't go our way, we put our finger in the angle like, what is up with God? Where is he? I thought he's a God of love. Why would God do this to me? And what kind of God is the, isn't it funny that we think we can put God on trial? Come on, turn to the person next to you and say, you're sweating. I think he's talking to you right now. You're acting pretty quiet. Isn't it amazing that we think we can put our fingers up to God and go like, if you're a good God, you would not let this happen to me. Since when can man put God on trial? Do you think God get nervous and go like, oh, oh, what are we going to do? No, I'm going to tell you this one thing. God knows you're playing him. God knows the guilt game. You know, we all do that when we get home and we say to our wives, how is your day? She says, okay. I know okay is a whole chapter. Is anything wrong? No. If you accept that no, you're dumb. That no means strap in Jack. It's going to be a long night. Why? She's playing you. She's playing you. She's playing you. And now they want to play God and go like, why did God do this? Hey, I don't have to look far. I just go to the first chapter and go like, let me tell you, because you're worshiping idols, because you're sleeping with a woman of the church in the church, because you're stealing from God, because you have no dis disregard for God. God is sick and tired of you thinking you can play the one who made the play. 
God is just like, enough. It's enough. This is what I love about us and God. We were made in his image. My daughter is very much like me and my son is very much like my wife in one way. So my daughter, she can always get what she wants by negotiating with her brother. Whenever she calls him buddy, he's about to go down. So I call him, I go like, Caleb, dude, let me tell you. When you hear the word buddy, just say no to anything that's on the table. Any offer she puts on the table, say no, because she's playing you. Now she's 18, 18 and she wants to play me. I go like, baby, do you understand? The game you're playing me with, I invented. I'm playing you. You can't play me. And God goes like, do you think you can play me by asking why? Do you really need an answer? So the people say, we know what we're going to do. We're going to win this battle. Let's go to Shiloh and get the Ark of the Covenant, which is a golden box. And God's presence rested on this box in a physical manifestation. So wherever that box is, that's where God's presence is. And they are working this thing out. If we bring God, surely where God is, there's always victory. Doesn't that make a lot of sense? And I go like, that's just like us. We ignore God in the good times. We have no time for God when things go right. But the moment things go bad and the doo-doo hits the fan, we go like, what time is that church service again? I need to go get my praise on. Praise on. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, what do you want? No, you want to use God to fix your stuff. And once your stuff is fixed, you go like, thank you, God. Now I can get on with life. God says, no, 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 I will not be played no more. Ooh, I'm preaching to somebody right now. You may be here today because you're in big trouble, but you're in the right place at the right time because I'm here to tell you there is mercy that wants to interrupt your life. There is grace that wants to run head on to you and to tell you that there is a different way of knowing a God who has got good things planned for your life. And the Bible says, as they brought the Ark of the Covenant, I love this. It's funny. The two people who brings it in is the two scoundrels, Hophni and Phinehas. Turn to somebody and say, this is going to be a bad day. Come on. This is like a bad movie. This is going to be a bad day. The scoundrels are bringing the holy presence of God to the group of people whose hearts are drifted away from God. And when the ark came in, the Bible says people were shouting and cheering. <sighs> What's going on? Oh, the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob is finally here. The battle is won. Everything is going to be fine. Really? Let me tell you, I've read the story. It's going to be a bad, bad day. Because the Bible says, when the Philipp Philistines heard what was going on, they say, what is going on? And somebody says, the mighty gods of Israel just entered their camp. We're going to lose. What are we going to do? And the logical thing is run, Forrest, run, just run. But the Bible says they didn't run away from them. They ran straight into them and they fought for their lives. You know what happened? They killed 30 thousand men on Israel's side. Turn to somebody and say, that's a bad day right there. 30,000 men just died. That's not the only thing that happened. They took the presence of God into captivity, a heathen nation. This is a bad day. And the Bible says one of the men, a messenger, 
with his clothes torn and dust on his head. In mourning, he is running back to Eli because he's got to go tell the wives and the, and, the, and the grandmothers and the mothers and the daughters and the older men what has just happened. And the Bible says, at the city gate sat Eli. He's 98 years old. He served for 40 years as the high priest. He's blind, sitting on a chair at the entrance of the gate, and he is a big man. And you can only imagine Eli is sitting there every day. He's waiting for the news from the battle because he knows whenever there's war, it's never good. There's going to be mourning and weeping. There's going to be funerals. There's going to be sadness. But, oh, God, would you please give victory? God, I knew you said those who honor you will honor, and I know the state of the people, God. But would you be merciful? And he's waiting, he's waiting. Every 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 um, um, noise around him is piquing his interest, and he's waiting. He's waiting for something to come his way. And then he began to hear that there is a sound of somebody rushing and running in, and his heart begins to beat faster, and he's waiting, and the, the footsteps are coming close, and he begins to shout, Give me the news! Give me the news! Tell me what's going on! And this man comes out of breath and he says, my Lord, this is not good. 34,000 men just died. And Eli, I'm sorry to tell you both your sons died in battle. And I'm sorry to tell you the ark of God's presence has been taken. This is a bad day. It's all over. When Eli heard this, the Bible says he fell backwards in his chair. He broke his neck and he died. Turn to somebody and say, this is a bad day. It's only going to get worse. You say, how could that get worse? He's dead. Well, the Bible says he had a daughter-in-law. She has no name in the Bible. She's simply referred to as the wife of Phineas, one of the scoundrel's sons. She was pregnant, late stages of pregnancy with a baby boy. I can only imagine she's walking around with this baby boy for months, rubbing her belly, so excited that this boy is going to come into the world and he's going to become part of the priesthood because God promised that the, the sons of this house is going to serve him as priest. This boy is going to know the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. This son, this boy is going to serve God and the people. She's a proud mother carrying this baby boy. He's got a bright future. Everything is looking beautiful and maybe she was never part of the sin of the people maybe she didn't even know the son of her husband maybe she's living right before God and she's about to become an underdog that's going to go as low as you can because she hurts the noise in the camp she hears the crying going on and she rushes with this baby she's what is going on can you tell me can you give me news of what's going on they go like no you've got to sit down just sit down we've got some bad news we've got some bad news they say I'm sorry to tell you 34,000 men just died in battle and your husband and he his brother they just died and the ark of God's presence has been taken and I'm sorry to tell you your father-in-law Eli five minutes ago he got the news and when he did he fell backwards and broke his neck he just died we're so sorry and the Bible says when she heard the news she went into premature labor and she was dying as she was giving birth come on this is a bad day but scripture tells us in the book of 1 Samuel, verse 4, verse 20. It says, and as she was dying, the woman helped her, helping her said, don't be afraid. You've given birth to a son. But she didn't answer or pay attention. So she called the boy, come on, can you say that word? 
Ichabod, which means no glory. She says, Israel, glory is gone because of the ark of God has been captured and because her father-in-law and her husband died. Oh, you've got to see this. She takes this beautiful promise of a baby and she looks at him. She says, I will call you Ichabod, which means no glory. What does no glory mean? Glory refers to the presence of God, the, the purposes of God, the protection of God, the intentions of God, the blessing of God. So she is framing this little baby's life with everything that is not good. So I go like, wait, stop, just stop, just stop. Why would you do that? Why would you frame your future and your promise and call it everything that is not good? Because you see, a baby represents hope. Can I get an amen? I, I, I've never seen a dad hold a newborn baby and go like, oh, you're ugly and you're going to have a horrible life. Come on. I've never seen a mom go like, oh, you monkey. You can have a pathetic life, little people. No. When we hold that baby, you know what it's shouting? Dreams unchallenged by reality. Hope unchallenged by life. Faith unchallenged by fear. Peace unchallenged by turmoil. We look at that baby and everything good floods through our mind. And our dreams, our hopes, our futures are just like that baby. But soon that baby will come against resistance and troubles and trials and turmoils. And very soon we will name our future like she named her baby. And I go like, what if none of those things happened? What if you and I could give that baby a name? Because here's the deal. She doesn't know what happens in the next few chapters. But I do because I've read it. And I cannot tell her, but maybe I can rename the baby. Because you see, if she understands that God would restore Israel again, if she can understand Israel would repent again, if she can understand they're going to fight the Philistines again, but this time the Lord God rose up among them and slaughtered the Philistines, if she can understand that there is another husband, if she can understand that there is hope, if she can understand God's thoughts about her are good thoughts to give her a future and an outcome, if she can understand laughter will fill her house again if she can understand peace will fill her heart again if she knows that what will she call her baby so I thought there's no rule in the Bible that says I cannot rename the baby so I went to the baby name dictionary and I found some good Jewish names come on turn to your neighbor and say there's no rule blocking that none no rule so the first name that I thought is how about we call the baby Betuel which means man of God I don't know about you, but I think if your name is man of God or no glory, man of God's going to take you further in life. Come on. Or, or how, how about Asher, which means happy and blessed. Because you see, the Bible says words and death comes out of our mouth. If we use it, we will eat the fruit of it. In other words, our words can entrap our lives or it can anchor it in hope. So if I call this baby blessing and happiness, surely it's going to be different than our glory. There's another one that I love. Areli, which means Lion of God. I love this one. It's like Lion King. Hey, hey, ho, ho. Do you know what I mean? Lion of God. Just love that. Come on, Mufasa. Lion King. I need music. 
Because you see, the fact of the matter is, I cannot change where she is right now. I cannot change what's happened to her. But I can tell her, it's not as dark as you think. There is a tomorrow. I can tell her, sweetheart, I have read the Bible. And God is a God that will always restore the moment we submit our heart to him. Why, why curse your future because of a bad day? Why curse your future? Why do you put a full stop where God is only putting a comma? Because you see, right now your life is, it's very bad and, and your husband just left and you just lost your job, comma. But you're not hearing and. And you go like, it's over, it's over. God go, no, no, no. I didn't put a full stop. I only put a comma. And tomorrow the sun will shine with glory and the God of heavens will come and reach down to you and pick you up and raise you up and make you strong. It is only the beginning. It is not a full stop. It is only a comma. It's not a full stop. It's only a comma. It's not a full stop. Do not curse your future because of a bad week. Do not curse your future because of a bad decision. Do not curse your future. Listen, two weeks ago, they brought a young guy and his family into my back room, my green room at church. As this family walked in, I go like, oh, great. What can I do? They said they need prayer. I look at this guy and I go like, what can I pray for? He says, I'm going to prison for 15 years. I go like, dang, what did you do? The biggest drug bust in Ohio's history, he's the kingpin. I'm like, okay, now what? What should I do? Like, what, what do I do? I'm going to tell you what I did. I looked him in the eye and say, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never comes to an end. When man gives up, God lifts you up. You did stupid, so did I. But Jesus carried the stupid on the cross. Whatever you've done, you're going to pay for it. But here is the good news that no eye has seen or ear has heard. Listen, it may be tears right now, but joy is coming in the morning. The weeping only lasts for a night. It is not the end. It is only the beginning. Oh, it was so awesome. And in that moment, I took his hands and I led him to Jesus. Tears were running down his cheeks. His wife is praying. His three daughters are standing there. I said, if it's possible, we'll come see you in prison. But it's not the end. It's only the beginning. Do not curse your future because of a bad decision. Do not curse your future because of what you've done. Because our God is mighty to save. Listen, Habakkuk chapter 317. Turn to the person next to you and say, he's done. He's done. He's loud and he's done. He's done. Habakkuk 3.17, I love this. I think it's on the screen. Do you want to read that with me? Loud enough so your own ears can hear. It goes like this. Even though the fig trees are all destroyed, and there is neither blossoms left nor fruit, though the olive crops all fail and the fields lie barren, even if the flocks die in the field and the cattle barns are empty, even though your husband just left you, even though you just lost your job, even though you're trapped in an addiction that you cannot tear away from, even though you are deceived and you get back, back to that place of entrapment, of smut and disease, even though you feel far from God, 
even though you're at the bottom of the food chain right now, even if you feel lonely and abandoned, your sin is so heavy on you, you feel there is no forgiveness and grace. Even though you say, I am the world's biggest underdog. Verse 18, yet, come on, yet, come on, yet, come on, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be happy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will give me the speed of a deer and bring me safely over the mountains. The Bible says the Lord God is my sun and shield. He gives grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold to them that walk uprightly. Listen, people's church. There is no testimony without a test. And some of you are in the darkest test of your life. Take your finger away from putting God on trial. Put your finger inside your own heart and pray, test me, O oh God. Search me. Try me. Examine me, O oh God. Whatever evil is to be found while I'm having root canal, take it all out, Jesus. While I'm in pain, do all the surgery you can, Jesus. While I'm feeling cast out, Lord, whatever you need to do, do it right now. Because even though I'm in this place, yet I believe that my best is yet to come. And I will have a testimony of the greatness of a God who knows me by name. Let's pray together.